Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to pick up with a a series. Maybe you didn't know it was going to be a series, but I started a series the last time I spoke. And we talked about uh, the title of the series is What Stirs You. And we've got our, our, our title slide there. That was the title of the series. And um, we said a couple weeks ago, actually it's been a month ago, a month ago today, actually, um, that, you know, we're all stirred by different things. And we're going to get into some things in the future that um, are areas of our lives, things in the Word and our Christian walk that should stir us. We're going to get into some things. But we talked just briefly about uh, this word to, to stir up. What stirs you to be stirred up? And a lot of times that's got a, 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 con, a connotation with being agitated. Look at most synonyms of being stirred up. The phrase stirred up is things like being agitated or, or provoked. But there is a stirring up that's a good stirring that needs to happen in our lives. And that's very, very important for us. We read a couple of scriptures. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, um, Yes, I think it is right. And I'll just read it to you. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Peter said, listen, it's important that as long as I'm in the flesh, I'm in in the spirit uh, or in this body, that it's important that I stir you up by reminding you. And he went on in the third chapter. He said, beloved, I write to you this second epistle in both of which to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. They were needing to be stirred up. They're needing a stirring to happen in their life. Then you go over to um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So there's a stirring that happens when we come together collectively. And that's one of the the important reasons that we come together. You know, it's not just all about you and what you get out of something, but it's also what you're able to do for someone else. Your presence stirs somebody. And if your presence isn't stirring somebody, you need to check how you're showing up. But when we show up full of faith and ready to hear, it'll stir one another up. You know, our, one of our greatest resources we have in life is each other. One of the greatest resources we have on this earth is one another, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, because these are the people we run to. These are the people we lean on. These are the ones that we rely on. Yes, we rely on the Lord, but we also rely on one another. And so he said to stir up, when we come together, to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves, which is the manner of some. So this idea of stirring up is all through the scripture. It's all around. And it's a, it's a, it's a godly principle. And it, like I said, it's something that we want to look at. I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We read the scripture a month ago as well. And we're going to camp on this a little bit today, on this particular verse. And this is 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. What a, great, what a great book this is, the, the book of Timothy here. But in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, Paul was writing to his son in the faith. He said, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know, we, 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 we said... Uh, uh, Last time, you know, or or earlier, that there are things that we've got to do. And so Paul was writing Timothy here and was reminding him to stir up things. You know, you've got some things that have been placed on the inside of you. But when we look in this verse, this stirring up, like I said earlier, you know, I'm I'm trying to get my bearing here. Uh, Earlier, uh, we want to get into some things that we need to be stirred up about in life and in, in in our walk with God. But I want to take a pause this morning and look at this verse a little more closely. This, this section of passage here, the, these passages here, so therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Uh, I want to talk a little bit this morning specifically, we're going to get into other things later, but I want to have a sub-message this morning, is stirred, not shaken. Stirred, not shaken. So what stirs you? There are things in life that, that are trying to stir you. And there is a negative side to being stirred, but then there's a positive side to being stirred. And the positive side is, the, is what we do in our own life, where we stir ourselves up. But there is a negative side of stirring that tries to come from the outside, and it tries to stir us by shaking us in our walk. And uh, when you look at this verse, Paul was writing to Timothy here, and he said, listen, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that, that's in you by the laying on of hands. I'm reminding you to do this. It's important in life that we're stirred and not shaken. 
you know, the day we live in now, more so than ever, I mean, you know, you, you realize that bad news is the currency of the day. I mean, that, that's, that's how things are. That's what's pushing the narrative in our culture and society and the world. It's bad things and, and bad situations and gloom and doom. And we've got to be careful to, to make sure that we're stirred and not shaken. There has to be a response. There must be a response. And the reality is if you're not intentional about your response, a response will happen by, by, by automation will happen in your life if you don't dictate what it is. And so there has to be a response. There's going to be a response. And we have a choice to either be stirred, something that we do, or to be shaken. And so this is so important in our life. And when we read the book of Timothy uh, and what, what was happening here, we get a clear indication of, of what Paul was trying to talk about. And it's so good for our day and where, where we're at right now. I want to go back, to the, uh, back up to the beginning of this chapter. And uh, let's read this, this together. We're going to spend some time here this morning and... I believe this will be a help to us. And we're going to give some background, some information, a kind of some perspective of what was going on. But it says here in, uh, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we'll go back to the very beginning, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. There's a lot there. Verse number 2 says, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace mercy and peace from our God, the father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he said, grace, mercy, and peace. And when I read this, you know, when, when you look at this, you'll notice if you've read any of the Pauline epistles, he always started with it, with a greeting and he always opened up the, his, 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 his letter with, with, you know, identifying who was writing it. And then he would say grace and peace with you. There's 13 Pauline epistles and 10 of those, he starts with grace and peace. Grace and peace be to you. And of course, grace is the, is the Greek word charis, and that was written to the Greek community. And peace is shalom, which is written to the Jewish community. So he was addressing his entire audience, the, the Gentiles and the Jews. He was addressing everybody and, and, and telling them grace, peace to you. He was greeting them. But when you get here, there's something really different about this particular book. In fact, it's, he repeats this in 1 Timothy and in the book of Titus. And these were by, also were the last three books that, uh, letters that the apostle Paul wrote. But in this particular time, he says, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. It means something was different that was going on in, in the culture. Something was happening that was different than other times. So I want to look this morning uh, at, at kind of what was happening there and what was going on. Um, I mentioned that Titus was written this way. The book of Titus was written about uh, 65 AD. And the book of Titus always, also opens with grace, mercy, and peace is what, how, the, how the Apostle Paul addressed Titus. Go with me over to, um, to the book of Titus. Let's look at it. The book of Titus. And this is just important to us, I, I believe. Uh, in Titus chapter 1, we'll look in the fourth verse. These three epistles are referred to as the pastoral epistles, Timothy, 2 Timothy, and, and the book of Titus. But he said in verse 4, he says, To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason, I left you in creed that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Notice he normally, he would open with grace and peace, but now he's writing to Titus. He said, grace, mercy, and peace. Well, that means Titus was facing something a little different than, than the, other, the other books of the, of the Bible that he had written, the other letters that he had written. And you go on down to the 10th verse, he, Paul addresses the situation there in Crete. He said, for there are, this is verse 10, says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not seek for the sake of dishonest game. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. What a terrible thing to say. And then Paul went on to say, their testimony is true. And he goes on to say, therefore rebuke them sharp, sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so he's writing to Titus here in the book of Titus. 
one of the only three times that he says grace, mercy, and peace. And Titus has got a job in front of him, an assignment in front of him that is not an easy assignment. He said, you, you're need, you need to set in order the, the church and the church there in Crete. You need to set them in order. And they're a rough bunch. They're lazy. They're gluttons. They're insubordinate. He said, that is, they're known for it. And Paul said, and it's all true. All the rumors are true. Everything that's being said about them, they're true. And guess what, Timothy? You get the job of setting in order. So he needed grace. He needed peace. But Titus needed some mercy as well. He was, he was facing a job that was not going to be easy. He needed some mercy there to accomplish his work. So that was one of the times he used, he used that opening. Then you go to 1 Timothy. We'll look at that. 1 Timothy in the, in the first chapter. Once again, Paul is writing here to, to Timothy. And he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. Timothy, to Timothy, a true son of the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Once again, he's writing to Timothy, this in the first time, and he's saying grace, mercy, and peace. Well, there was an interesting thing going on there in Ephesus as well. And give you a little bit of backstory on the church of Ephesus. Ephesus was uh, called the light of Asia. It was kind of like the New York City uh, of, of Asia Minor in that area. And it was a very prosperous city, but it was also a very, very dark place. And um, Paul was uh, writing Timothy, and we'll, if you look in Acts chapter 19 and 20 and 21, you've got uh, the different accounts there. And actually, we can turn there in Acts chapter 19. We'll reference a few things. But in the 19th chapter, we've got, uh, it's talking about the ministry of Paul in the city of, of, of Ephesus. And of course, when he arrived there, he was joined with Aquila and Priscilla. Later, Apollos joined them and uh, he wasn't even born again at the time. He was a follower of John the Baptist, and they preached him Christ, and he was born again, and he joined their ministry team. But uh, they were starting their ministry there, and like I said, it was, uh, Ephesus was a very important place in that region, but it was a very dark place. It was a very demonic place. Uh, demonic worship and pagan worship was everywhere. And so uh, they entered this town for the first time here in Acts chapter 19. Paul was there for a couple of years, a little over a couple of years. And then uh, it says in verse 19, it said uh, in chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So they went into this place. If you, if you know what happened, they went into Philosopher's Square. Uh, Paul began to preach there in the Jewish synagogue for a couple years. And after that, he went on to the school of Tiberias, which was right next door, and began to preach for, for a few months there, uh, the, the gospel. And it says that every, every person in the region heard the gospel, heard what was said. And so it was a very dark place, but God began to move. God began to do things. And so, uh, so the handkerchiefs were taken off his body. People were being healed. Great signs were being done through the hands of Paul. And uh, so they were experiencing a lot of success in the city. A lot of things were happening. But, you know, um, uh, anytime that happens, the devil shows up. It goes on to say in the 17th verse uh, of that same chapter, this became known. Of course, this is what was happening, all the miracles God was doing. This became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on all of them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced black magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up all the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. And so a great move of God had begun to happen there in the city of Ephesus. Their presence, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla and then Apollos, their presence began to change that whole area in this city of such importance there in Asia Minor. Well, like I said, anytime that God begins to move, the devil starts moving as well. Just a couple verses later, riots begin to break out. And so in verse 23, it says, And about that time there rose a great commotion about the way, speaking about Christianity, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no, soft, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And so the city was dedicated to the worship of the goddess Diana. There was a temple of Diana or, or called the temple of Artemis, depending on your Greek or Jew, Jew not Drew, but Jew. And... Um, 
And so, uh, or Roman rather. And so, uh, there was this temple there and it, it was the foundation of the economy. It was the center of the town. It was, took up the largest uh, view of the entire city. When you came into Ephesus, everyone saw this temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana. It was a central part of the city. Well, God began to move and, and that hurt, that's bad for business when you're a pagan idol maker, right? When God is moving and people are burning their books and, and burning their idols and doing these things, if you're Demetrius, suddenly that's a threat to your bottom line. And so he stirred up a big ruckus. And if you read what happened, they grabbed some of Paul's uh, followers. They grabbed them and brought them into the arena, into the theater. And, 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 and all of the people showed up and, and said that some of them didn't even know why they were there. Just a big ruckus arose. And so they're trying to create chaos in the city. And uh, so all of this is going on. All of this is happening. God is moving. The devil is trying to get things to stop and trying to cause things to be quiet. And um, in verse 18 of the same, or 28 rather, it says, Now that when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of Ephesus. So the whole city was filled with confusion. When you have, when the Bible gives us a description of what's going on, you can bank on that's exactly what was happening. The entire city was filled with confusion. How I many know that's, that is not of God. That is the response of the enemy. So the entire city was filled with confusion and they rushed in the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Arch, Arch, Arista, you can read it, and Macedonius, Paul, Paul's traveling companion. So this was going on. So obviously things were, were, were deteriorating quickly. And so then Paul uh, left and he put Timothy in a place of leadership to set things in order. And, and so, so this is the state. Uh, they move into the city, they begin to minister in the city, God begins to move, and then chaos breaks out, confusion breaks out, and Timothy is left with the job or the role of bringing order and setting things straight in this town. How many of you know that that's not an enviable place to be? And if you look over, go back to 1 Timothy, then the, the first chapter again, he said, uh, 1 Timothy chapter, we'll look at chapter 1, this is him referencing uh, his command that he gave to Timothy. He said, um, let me find my verse here. He said, he told Timothy, he said, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some and may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies, genealogies, which causes, cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So he gave Timothy the responsibility of setting things in order. Well, when he opened up 1 Timothy chapter 1, he needed some mercy there because Paul, they, Paul wanted to go to the arena where they had seized Gaius and the other guys in Macedonia. He wanted to go there, but they said, listen, you can't do it. In fact, leaders of the area, pagan leaders of the area who, who began to like Paul, developed a relationship with Paul. They even said, hey, don't go in there. If you do it, they're going to seize you. And so Paul had to leave town and go on to Macedonia, but he said, Timothy, I need you to stay here. And then we move forward, the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy was written to this young man who was given the job of setting things in order. He said, grace, mercy, and peace, because there was a heavy responsibility that was coming his way. And so, of course, you know, if you know what happened there, the church there flourished in, in the area of Ephesus. Uh, they say that that church began, got to around over 100,000 people were there in the little small churches in Ephesus. It became the central church of the seven churches in Asia Minor. So Timothy did his job. He did the things that Paul told him to do. He was careful and, and, and how he handled things and God began to bless him. And so by Paul's first letter, letter, first Timothy, Timothy took these things into practice and into, into, into recommendation and to, and began to practice these things and had great success. The church grew and prospered with Timothy leading the way. Then you get over to 2 Timothy. He's writing once again, which is where our, our main passage is this morning. He said, grace, in verse 2 again, he said, grace, let my Bible open up, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And so once again, there's something going on here that must require more than just grace and peace. Mercy must be needed. There's something happening. And so I want to give you just a little bit of uh, a little bit of history, a little bit of backstory here. And I'll just say this when it comes to church history, you know, there's a large uh, section of church history where there's not a lot of information. 
Because during the persecution of the church, uh, they weren't keeping a lot of records. They were basically running for their lives. And, and the gospel spread, really, the persecution that happened after 64 AD spread the church out all over the world. They left these major cities. They began to move all over. And the church just really flourished. And for the next couple hundred years, uh, there's not a lot of information out there, not a lot of firsthand accounts or written documentation because they were not necessarily focusing on keeping records as they were just surviving and, and spreading the gospel. But we do have some things, and there are some church historians who've gone back and, and looked at some of these things. Now, I'll say this. It's not scripture, so we can't say that it's, it's God-breathed or it's emphatic or this, this is absolutely what was happening. We can't be dogmatic about it. But we can refer to some of these things. I think they're helpful to us to, to get a perspective on where these people are at and what was happening. And it helps us see the, the, the instruction that Paul was giving Timothy. It helps to make it a little more clear to us what, what he was talking about. And so some of the details, we may not be 100% exactly correct on what was actually happening, but we know overall what was going on. And so some of the things that were happening here, you know, like I said, this was a really uh, difficult time for Timothy. A lot of things were going on. We'll read more here in just a minute. But just to kind of give you a, a, a quick synopsis of the day and what was happening. And I, I'm, I love history. There's certain histories I've loved and, and love to read and research. And I also love Bible history and this time as well. And so during this time uh, of the church and what was going on, the Roman Empire, of course, dominated everything. Everything was, was based on the, the Roman Empire. In fact, when Paul wrote, he referenced things that they would understand as Romans and the culture of the day would understand. Olympics and military and, and sport and all of these different things. He made these references to tie into the culture of the day so they could understand what he was talking about. But um, uh, Rome dominated the area. And at the time that this was going on, Nero was in charge. He was the ruler. He was the emperor of, of the Roman Empire. And Nero was a really bad guy. If you know anything about Nero, Nero was a really, really, really bad guy. It's interesting, when I was in Italy uh, a couple years ago when we were in Rome, uh, we went and did a tour of the, uh, the Colosseum. And uh, one afternoon, saw the tour of the Colosseum. And, of course, their depiction of Nero was a little different today. They're trying to rewrite some things. You know, Nero wasn't that bad of a guy. And, uh, anyway, Nero was a bad guy. But uh, when you look at the history of, of Nero and his background, it kind of gives you a picture of how twisted this man was. So his great-grandfather uh, was Augustus, Caesar Augustus. And he's the one that had the affair with Cleopatra. He, he was very good friends with Herod the Great. And he said, and he was the first one that, that uh, linked himself or said that he was a god. They worshiped gods and did these things, but, but uh, 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 Augustus was the first of them to actually say, I myself, I'm a god. And so he instilled or, or, or started imperial worship as a deity. And so that was Nero's great-grandfather. Then after Nero's great-grandfather, I've got a lot of names. Yeah, it was Tiberius followed him. That was uh, Augustus's nephew. And so he followed uh, uh, Augustus, Tiberius. He ruled for 14 years. And Tiberius was a very twisted man. You know, we look at what's going on today and we think it's bad. It was bad back then. Tiberius ruled for 14 years and he moved himself to the Isle of Capri and his whole reason for doing that is because the Isle of Capri was a pleasure island. And it was given over to just sexual immorality. And his desire was to live that lifestyle 24 hours a day. And so he moved to this, this island of, of Capri. And there's actually a town there in his honor uh, that's made, that was for him. But he moved to this island just so he could live this lifestyle. This was a man for 14 years. This is what he did. Well, he had a nephew whose, son, whose name was Caligula. Anybody know who Caligula was? Caligula was an extremely twisted young man. He, he was raised by Tiberius. In fact, Tiberius sexually and mentally abused Caligula his entire life, along with the other men of the island. And so whenever uh, Caligula came into power, when, when Tiberius died, Caligula showed up and Caligula was messed up. And he was very evil, did a lot of things. He actually, he actually considered himself to be a god as well. And he said he was the god Kronos. And the god Kronos, this is just an example of how bad Caligula was. Kronos uh, was, was said to have eaten the children of his sister, the infants, the babies of his sister. And so Caligula, to prove that he was actually Kronos, he actually ate the twin babies of his sister. Caligula was a bad guy. Right? And so this is Herod's genealogy. 
And so Caligula was a bad guy, and so um, he, 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 he ruled, and of course, whenever he died, then another man, Claudius, became emperor, emperor, and his wife was Agrippina. Agrippina happened to be Caligula's sister, with whom they had had an incestual relationship the entire time Caligula was reigning. You can see how messed up everything is. And so now Claudius is emperor, and his wife, Agrippina, is empress, and she's, she's his wife, and she has a son from a previous marriage named Nero that she wants to take over the throne and take it away from Claudius. So what? does she do? She poisons Claudius with poisonous mushrooms so that her son can then take over Nero. So Nero takes over the throne. He's 16 years old. He believes he's a God because his mama has told him he's a God this whole time. He's in living in this culture of all this craziness that's going on. And the first thing he does, he kills his two teachers. He really hated school. He kills his first, his two teachers. He has them murdered. He kills several of the Senate members who oppose him. He has them murdered. And then he even kills his own mother because I'm the emperor and I'm God. You can't tell me what to do anymore. So he has his own mother Murdered who got him into power. This is the man that was ruling at the time when Paul wrote this letter. So even if there's nothing specific going on, the culture of the day was crazy. I mean, the culture of the day was intense. It was out of control. Things were happening that shouldn't have happened. Well, Nero, had a, there was a lot of stuff about Nero that he thought all that he was the best singer. He was the best performer. He was all of these things. He was this wonderful architect. He wanted to build himself a palace, the golden palace. And when we were there, we actually saw the foundation of the golden palace. The gold is all gone and the building is gone. But there's a great video on YouTube that describes this palace. It was huge. It was 300 acres. And he wanted to build this palace to show his magnitude and how awesome he is as a God. And so the problem with that is he wanted to build it in the most historic area of Rome. And so the Senate said, listen, Nero, we, we know you think you're God and all. And yes, we think you're God. They had to be careful to say that or else they'd be murdered too. Yes, we think you're God, but you can't build your city there because that's where our houses or your, your mansion there, your palace there, because that's where we live in this historic area of, of Rome. When you're in Rome, you've got the Colosseum and then you've got the Roman Forum is here and you go up a hill and that's where he built his palace. And that's where all the Senate, Roman Senate had their houses. They lived up there. Well, Nero didn't like that because he's God. He wants to do what he wants to. So he had his people set fires to Rome. And Rome burned down and and it's historic. The fires of of 64, it was a horrible thing. And um, and for a period of time, there was some peace there as they're kind of getting things back in order. But rumors began to spread that Nero burned down the city of Rome. And so they brought Nero into, into uh, uh, court. They been, brought him before the Senate to, to be tried and found guilty they were going to have him executed because Harson, they'd killed so many people and the city had been ravaged. And Nero made a decision to divert the attention off of himself and put it on somebody else. And he said, I didn't burn down Rome. I love Rome, but I know who did. He said it was those Christians who burned down Rome. See, up until this point, persecution was happening, but it was all religious persecution. But when this occurred, religious persecution turned into state-sponsored persecution. And that's when the real heat arose, is when the weight of the Roman Empire began to chase after the Christians. Nero told them, he said, yes, I didn't do this, but I know who did. It's the Christians. He had five accusations. He said, number one, uh, the first one he said... um, yeah, they meet illegally. So they meet of their, on their own and they're meeting in churches and these services and they're not allowed to do it because I'm the emperor and only I can give permission for group meetings and I didn't give them permission so they're meeting illegally, which was true. They were meeting illegally, but you know, sometimes we have to do what the Bible says and not forsaking the assembling ourselves together, even if somebody doesn't like it, right? So they were doing that illegally. Number two, he said that, um, uh, he said that they were subverts. They were trying to, to take over the kingdom. They talked about this new King Jesus and this new kingdom they're trying to establish. He said that um, uh, he, of all people, he was married to two men himself, and he said that they were, uh, they were also deviants as well. They had these things called love feasts. And then these love feasts were so perverse that even as bad as we are, you can't imagine how bad their love feasts are. And, and he, I'm sure he spun this crazy story, so the Senate was disgusted by the Christians. He said that they were cannibals. 
Because their leader, Jesus, said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. So he told them that they were cannibals. So then they were angry at the, the Christians for being cannibals. And that followed them for generations, that idea that they were cannibals, followed for generations. And the fifth thing he said, they're the ones who burned down Rome because they've been talking about fire and judgment. If you don't repent and come to their side, fire and judgment is going to fall. So he pinned this whole thing on, on the Christian church. And suddenly the full weight of Rome is bearing down on them. And Timothy is in this church, the premier church in Asia Minor. He is the leading, leading this church, heading things up and taking, making things stay in order. He's doing this. And Paul is writing to Timothy now saying, and saying, listen, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. So as we read on and kind of get an indication of some of the things that he said, he said in verse six, he goes on to say, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So when all this was going on, um, Timothy was in a place where he was in charge of a church that was growing, and now he's in charge of a church that is under fire, a church that's being persecuted heavily. And so Paul writes to him and says, listen, grace, mercy, and peace be to you. You can say this, Timothy was being shaken. When you read here in, in, there, in, the, in the verses, in verse 3, he talks about, to Paul said, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of you, uh, being mindful of your tears, that it may fi- be filled with your joy. So he said he was recognizing that Timothy was under great distress during this time. He was being shaken. And so Paul said, listen, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that's in your life through the laying on my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And so, like I said, there are times that come where shaking wants to happen in our lives and we have to be stirred instead. We have to be stirred instead. You know, just this last week, they've had news that come out about the economy, things, the banking system that's going to happen and collapse is going to happen. We have to choose to be stirred and not be shaken by these things. The amplified of, of, uh, translation of these verse six says, that is why I remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers, fan the flames of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. So he says, listen, rekindle the embers of, fan the flames of, and keep burning this gracious gift of God. This was something that Paul was writing to Timothy. Now, it's interesting, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, Paul himself was in trouble. When he wrote 1 Timothy, Paul had just gotten out of jail for the first time. He had been in prison in Macedonia. He gets out of prison and writes 1 Timothy in the book of Titus. By the time 2 Timothy is written, Paul himself is in Rome and in prison. And part of the reason why he's there is because he's an arsonist. Because this lie has gone out that the church burned down Rome and Paul being the leader of the church is in Rome and they have him in prison. In fact, Peter and Paul died just about the same time. Peter was, uh, was, was crucified upside down and, and Paul, they think, was beheaded. But this happened about the same time all as a result of this lie that was spread, this information that was given that they had burned down the city of Rome. So Timothy wrote Paul a letter asking for help with tears. Obviously, he was emotional. How did Paul know that? We don't know. But, but obviously, Paul recognized that Timothy was tearful. So Paul is writing words of encouragement to Timothy while Paul was, being, was locked up himself. Remember I said we have to be stirred and not shaken. When you go back to the, to the beginning of this, before he says grace, mercy, and peace, notice what Paul said. Paul says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So we have an indication right here. Paul was in the same situation, but Paul was handling it differently. There's always a response. It's either a response of being shaken or it's being a response of being stirred. Paul, Timothy was responding to a spirit of fear, but Paul was stirring himself up. He said, listen, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to, he said, this is how I'm doing it. This is what's working in my life, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy was being faced with death, but so was Paul. The threat of death was being faced on Timothy. The difference between the two was Timothy was still a free man. Paul was locked up. 
When you read first Timothy, T- Timothy or Paul was hopeful to see Timothy. He said, I hope to see you again. In this, in second Timothy, Paul basically has abandoned that idea. He was well aware of the fact that his end was drawing near. That the day, that his final days were coming. I've run my race. I've finished my course. There's laid up for me a crown of glory. I mean, he recognized that my time was coming to an end, yet he was not shaken by this. And he's encouraging Timothy, don't be shaken, but be stirred. You know, every generation, every group thinks that what they're facing is the worst thing that's ever happened. Now, I've not been alive a long time, but in the 48 years of my life, everybody thinks what's happening now is as bad as it could possibly be. I remember the Cold War days. Back in the 80s and early 90s, the threat of Russia and, and you know, bombing us. And if anybody's seen the movie Jesus Revolution, if you saw the movie, they, had the, they did the, the, the nuclear test drill where they had everybody get under their desk in case of nuclear attack, get under your desk. And the character was like, well, what good is that going to do, you know, if I'm under my desk? Well, by the time I came around, they realized that makes no sense. They told us to run home. So you can't really do that drill, you know, in school, like everybody run home because all your kids are gone. But that was our thing in case of nuclear attack. I remember this in, in, in elementary school. Do you remember that? In case something happens, just go home. They're not trying to keep track of anybody. Just, just get out there and y'all just run. There's no buses. If you live in the country, you better be Forrest Gump and run fast, right? I mean, but we were told to just run. And I always, then I thought, that's crazy. First of all, I live right next to the school. So here, there, I'm still dead, you know, and, 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 and if I run five miles, I'm still, it didn't make any sense. But this fear, it just can't get any worse than this. You, you go back to, to my grandparents' generation, you know, they, they were there during World War II. If you're alive during World War II, you couldn't possibly think it could get any worse than that. This man, Hitler, doing all these things, and surely people thought the end is near, the end has to be here. What we're experiencing is no worse than anyone else. I mean, no one has experienced this before. But then a few years before that, they had the Great War, the war to end all wars. In World War I, 1918, and, and they said this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Every group thinks what they're facing is the worst. The difference is we can look back in history and see how it played out. Oh, they didn't need to be that upset because hindsight, we can look back and, oh, this happened and the Allies won and this happened and, and the Soviet Union collapsed and, and all of this happened. And so it, it all worked out for them. But now what we're facing, this, is, this has got to be it. This has got to, it can't get any worse than this. You know, the reality is just because you can look back and see what's happened before shouldn't, and the fact that we can't look back and see we're not, we're not ahead in history. We're living it right now. We shouldn't say, well, this is the worst thing ever because we have God's word on how this ends. We have God's word on how this ends. So we can look back to people during different times and say, yeah, you shouldn't have been shaken. You know, you should stir yourself up. There's hope for you. There's hope for you because, you know, we, we know what happened. But in our situation, well, we're tempted to really wring our hands and be worried because this is really, really bad this time. This is, this is probably, it's all going to fall apart this time. And no, we, we have the book. We know how this thing ends. We know where this goes. We have to choose to be stirred and not shaken in the day we live in. Every generation was faced with this. Timothy was faced with this. He forgot Paul's situation, but Paul had made a choice. Listen, I'm I'm, I'm serving God according to the grace of God, according to the life of God. This is how I'm going to do it. We have to do the same thing. So we, we cannot be caught off guard. We cannot be caught off guard by things. We cannot be caught off guard by what happens. In John 14, 1, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Difficulties and storms in life come to everybody. I said difficulties and storms come to everybody. It's a reality. Some are caused by Satan. Some are caused by ourselves. But I do know this. God remains faithful through them all. Persecutions come. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he was writing, uh, Paul told Timothy, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now it's been said, and a lot of people have mentioned it, and said that are we coming into a time of greater persecution as the church? Now I'm not going to speak anything into existence. I'm not going to begin to speak. Yet yeah, it's going to happen to us. But he did say here that anyone who who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So persecution is going to be a part of our life if we're going to serve God, right? It's going to be a part of life. It's going to be something that we face. 
And so he was telling Timothy, listen, don't let that shake you. Don't let that disturb you. It's a part of what comes. Do something about it. Stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. And as a side note, if you're not experiencing any persecution, maybe you need to check up on how you're living, right? Upheaval in the world will continue to happen. Upheaval in this world will continue to happen. If you read in Matthew 24, Jesus was giving signs of the times and, and, and they, were, they were times of constant upheaval. Things would be happening. He said in the fourth verse, he said, take heed that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ and deceive many and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Notice, see that you are not troubled. See that you are not shaken for all these things must come to pass, but it's not the end. I will say this, that none of this is the end for us. No matter what comes, it's not the end for us. And that's what Paul was doing. He said, listen, I'm looking to hold a forward to this part of my journey may be over, but there is a, a reward that's waiting for me. There's a prize that's waiting for me. And I've run my race. I've finished my course. My end, it may sound bad, but it's not my end. It's just a new beginning, right? And so we've got to remind ourselves at the same time, listen, don't be shaken, be stirred. This is not our end. Seasons change, things change, things come and things go. If there's anything that's consistent or constant in life, it's change. That's what happens. I hope you're changing. Things about your life, your wardrobe every day. You know, I hope we're changing things, right? Change is a constant in life. You know, when we're, we're in Africa and, and we're doing the pastor's conference, I like to read these verses when I close my section out, this is in Ecclesiastes chapter three. And you know, this Ecclesiastes three, one through eight, it says to everything, there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to wear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. There's all of these different seasons that come our way. And I always tell the pastors, what time is not mentioned? What time is not mentioned? When we're, we're leaving, it's my last time that I minister. I said, what's, what's, not, what's not there? It's a time to quit. Of all the times there are, times that come, there's never a time to quit. There's never a time to be shaken. There's always a time to be stirred. There's never a time to be shaken. There's never a time to give up. And so we have to make sure that we are aware of these things. So what do we do? Stir yourself up. Stir yourself up. Paul gave some instructions here. You're in 2 Timothy. He said, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. I've got five R's that will help us. Five R's uh, to being stirred and not shaken. Number one, it's to remember. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he said, when I call to re remember the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is also in you. The first R of not being shaken is to remember. You have to remember. Remember where you've come from. You have a legacy of faith. If you're a first generation, you still have a legacy of faith because you're of your fa the father of your faith, Abraham, right? There's a legacy that you have. It's a legacy of faith. You have to remember that. You also have to remember what God's given you. You have to remember what God has given you. The Bible says in Romans 12, 13, that God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He's dealt to each one a measure of faith. He said not to think of more highly of yourself than you ought to, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, this not thinking more highly of yourself, more, more highly than you ought to, a lot of times we think of thinking too, we're too big for our own britches, right? And that's what he was talking about in the scripture, not thinking that you're above everybody else. But there's also an application of that too, not thinking more highly of yourself that what you're experiencing is different than everybody else that it's harder than everybody else, that nobody's going through what I'm going through. Had Timothy been thinking straight, he had written Paul a letter. Hey, I heard what's going on. I'm praying for you. This is where I'm at. I'm needing some advice. Yet he wrote a letter that was full of fear and full of tears. Never even, I mean, we don't know, but it, there's no indication that he even acknowledged Paul's situation. 
But you can think of your situation more highly than you ought. There's scripture says in Roman and first Corinthians 10, 13, I'll read it to you. It says, no temptation has overtaken you such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way or the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. No matter what comes, no matter what change happens, no matter what happens in the earth or in whatever, nothing is facing you that's not common to man. And at the same point, there's been a way of escape made for you. The Amplified says, no temptation, no trial regarding as enticing to sin. No trial as regard as enticing to sin. How many know anything that's not of faith is sin? Romans says that. It says, whatever is not of, uh, or, or, or no... Um, no matter how it comes or where it leads has overtaken you and laid hold of you, laid hold on you that is not common to man, that is, that is no temptation or trial, has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength or resistance and power to endure, but with the temptation will always also provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. There, I, I like to say this, we were born for this. We were born for this. We were born for this day. We were born for this time. You were made to be here, not during Nero's time, not Paul and Timothy, but during this time we were born to be here. So you have to remember that you have a legacy of faith. Remember what God has given. You've been given the measure of faith. And also remember that God is faithful. Number two, you need to reload. Remember, then reload. In 2 Timothy 1.6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. You have to reload. Anytime you're in a battle, you have to reload. You have to reload. You have to stir yourself up, build your faith, build your resolve by focusing your attention. You have to make sure you reload. You have to refill. You have to refill. You can be remembering and trying to reload as far as on God's word, but if you're not refilling yourself, you're missing a key ingredient. Ephesians chapter five. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. Now, this particular epistle, he didn't start with grace, mercy, and peace, just grace and peace. But it's still, it's still good for us. He says, see then, verse 15, Ephesians five fifteen. see then that you walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but instead, but would be the word instead, understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Be being filled with the spirit is another way of saying that. Be filled, be filled with the spirit. Be being filled with the spirit. Uh, the Amplified says, be ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. You've got to refill in your life. You know, one of the things, our church, we're strong on the word of God. We're strong, but we're also strong on, on the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are. You need to reload on God's word, but you need to, you need to refill your life. You need to stay full of the Holy Spirit. You can always tell how full somebody is by where their joy is at. When stuff is, stuff is going on, if you're full of the Spirit, if you have been st- keeping the Holy Spirit stirred on the inside of you, joy just rolls out of you in the midst of everything. That's why Paul was able to say, listen, I'm doing this according to, to the life of God. I, this is how I'm doing this. But Timothy, obviously, he wasn't staying filled. So you have to, re, you have to refill. Number four, you have to recruit. In the next verse, in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, he says, Speaking to one another, this is the Amplified, Speak out to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, offering praise with voices and instruments, and making melody with all your heart to the Lord. Speak out to one another in psalms and hymns. We've got to recruit. Like I said, our greatest resource is one another. Who are you speaking to? Who are you investing in? Who are you, who are you encouraging? If you're going to be encouraged, you have to be an encourager, right? And the last would be rejoice. 
And this is in the 20th verse of Ephesians, Ephesians 5.20. It says, at all times and for everything, give thanks to the Lord uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the, to God the Father. You have to keep, the, keep God, the door of God open. Keep the door for God open to move in your life. Rejoice. Keep, keep thankfulness in your heart. Listen, I just want to talk to you this morning about this. You know, uh, we're living in a times where the shaking is trying to happen. We're living in a time where shaking is trying to happen. We have to make sure we're keeping ourselves stirred up. You know, the whole, the whole series title is what, what stirs you. Let's not let other things do the stirring. Let's not other, 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 other in, uh, ingredients, other things cause us to take action. Because that stirring is really, when it comes from the other side, it's really not stirring. It's a shaking that comes in your life. No, we have an unshakable kingdom that we've been given. We're, we're a part of something that can never be shaken. So we have to make a decision. Paul was addressing Timothy right up front. He said, grace and mercy be to you. I know the situation is tough, but stir up the gift of God. Don't let a spirit of fear get a hold of you. Amen. God's not giving you, he's giving you, but a power and of love and a sound mind. That's what you have. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's given this to us. Why don't you stand with me? We will not be shaken. He said, we will not be shaken. Amen. We will not be shaken no matter what comes. No matter what comes our way, we'll never be shaken. Hallelujah. God is faithful. He is faithful. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands. Father, we love you. Jesus, we honor you. We thank you for your goodness. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for the heritage we have. Thank you, Father, for the faith that you've given us. We're grateful. Hallelujah. We're grateful. We're grateful. We're grateful. We're thankful for your goodness in our life. Father, we make the decision. We make the determination to stay stirred by you. Stay stirred by your promises. To stay stirred in our position in Christ. And to not let things get us off course. And to shake us. Father, we're thankful that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. We're thankful that the greater one lives on the inside of us. We're thankful that you have done so much for us and provided the way. Father, we make the determination in our lives, Lord, we will maintain a position of being stirred by you and stirred for you. Father, we thank you for it. Every head bowed, every eyes closed, no one looking around. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Maybe you're going through some things and experiencing some some difficulties. The reality is people around you are probably going through things as well. People are experiencing things. And we're not glorifying the devil. But, you know, it's a part of life. It's a part of being here. There is opposition that comes our way. But the good news is we're more than conquerors. Through Christ Jesus. And that's not something that happens in the future. That's something that's already been done. We look back at other generations and other times and we see what's happened. We can look back at what happened on the cross. And what happened at his, uh, when Jesus was, was crucified and buried. But also what happened when he was resurrected. Victory was won. The battle was won. It was won for you. If you're here this morning and you've been going through things that have caused your confidence to be shaken, caused your foundation to be shaken, maybe you're in a place where you're wondering, can I go forward? What, what do I do? Maybe, maybe your very faith overall has been shaken. I'm here to tell you this morning that we do have an uns- unshakable kingdom. And what Jesus has done for you is assured. It is done. You can have confidence in him. If you're here this morning and you have been struggling, now's the time just to release that. Let go of that. Make a decision like like Timothy had to do. I'm not yielding to a spirit of fear any longer. God's not giving me that, but I'm yielding to a a power and a love and a sound mind. That's who I am. That's what I'm going to have. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. 
If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.